Welcome to another episode of Bridging the Gap. I'm really excited about this week's episode where we interview Aaron Voisin. Aaron is a recent recipient of an investment news 40 under 40, and she is one of the leaders in the industry in pushing forward some major initiatives, diversity, getting women more involved in our industry, and financial literacy, helping to train the youth to be more literate with finances so that they can be better off into the future. It's an amazing conversation that I have with Erin. Her background, her focus, her drive is something that we need in this industry, and you're going to see it come through in our conversation. You're going to learn something, you're going to have takeaways, and you're going to really love the conversation with Erin. Enjoy. This is Bridging the Gap with your host, Matt Reiner. Aaron Voisin, great to connect with you. Thanks so much for taking some time to to come on Bridging the Gap. It's so nice to have you. And I, I think, if I recall, you're calling from Southern California, where it's beautiful every single day of the year, it seems like. Is that is that right? That is true. We are technically just out of our May gray and June gloom season. So it's actually now officially sunny every day, but definitely not as hot as it is everywhere else. That is true. I mean, just north of you up in uh, Portland and, and all those areas, they don't even have air conditioning. And, and I think it's over 100 degrees. And I understand heat here in Atlanta because it's always hot, but I hear it's hotter there now than here. And I don't know how they would do that without air conditioning. But I, uh, so I know Southern California pretty well because I went to school at Arizona State. And uh, I had a lot of friends that went to Villa Park in, in Southern California and Orange County area. And so I spent a lot of time out there. It's a beautiful part of the country. So, but I'm so happy to have you and, and I, I want to get into your background and uh, how you got to Southern California, born and raised, et cetera, and, and talk about all that. And, you know, just to give some background on how we connected, um, you know, we connected because we were both on the, the investment news 40 under 40 list for 2021, which is an extreme honor. And so, you know, congratulations to you. I, I'd love to just, you know, kick it off and just hear what the honor means to you and, and kind of how your reaction was when you got the email, which was a, you know, a couple, a little bit before it was announced, but what was your reaction and, yeah. and what does it mean to you? Yeah, it was funny. I was doing a monthly check-in with one of my team members and, you know, it's all calls because we were virtual and I happened to just be scanning my email and I saw an email that said 40 under 40. And I was like, what is that? And I clicked and I read it while I was on the check-in and I felt so bad that I was like not dedicating my time but it totally caught me off guard. And I was like, oh my God, I started freaking out. And he's like, what's wrong? And I was like, I just got 40 under 40. I was like, I have to end this right now because Austin, my marketing manager, who kind of helped me you know, with the uh, middle and everything, I was like, I have to text her, I have to call her. And she was on a call. So she starts crazy texting me like, oh my God, this is exciting. But it really, I, like you know, I was saying earlier, it was exciting just because I think getting it after the year we had for me personally, my team doubled in size last year through the pandemic. So that was awesome, but we were also completely virtual. So it created unique challenges. And then it was my first year as a CFP board ambassador, a CFP board win council member. So I just felt like I told everyone last year for as crazy as it was professionally is probably the year I'm most proud of. And so to get this sort of was like the cherry on top, like it sort of solidified how I felt and to see other people recognize it too, was pretty cool. I went home that night, you know, you wanted to scream it from the mountaintops and they're like, don't tell anyone. And I'm like, ah, I want to share it. Like, this is so exciting. So now that it's out, it's much better. 
Yeah, I, I, you know, you, you're so right. I mean, the year that it was, and and you know, I mean, y'all's team doubled in size. That's incredible. And I, I think that you know, our industry was one of those industries that, you know, we were we we're somewhat fortunate, right? We could work mm-hmm. remote. We didn't have the the headwinds like the the leisure and hospitality industries did. Right. But to navigate it both from a mental standpoint, an onboarding standpoint, you know, a training standpoint, keeping clients happy, um, you know. It's just to your, you know, like you said, to have that recognition to say, you know what, all the hard work that I've done and, and the kind of the the leaps of faith that I've taken, you know, with like what you're saying with the CFP board, it all paid off. And it's uh, it's always yeah. nice, no matter who you are and what role you're in to have that. And I, I am in a complete agreement with you. And, and you know, I think from from your standpoint, right, like, I mean, the CFP boards and all that, I want to go down that path. You know, what led you to start taking on those initiatives and and Kind of what's the passion that you have on, on that side from there? So internally at EP, about, you know, I started with EP five and a half years ago, and we started a women's initiative. And it was great. I was a very active member. I became technically our first chairwoman. And that led me to have a great two years. Our, bo- our board now runs two years. And through those two years, part of what I also did internally was help launch our financial literacy initiative. And we had an opportunity that how that started was an intern asked that we go speak at their high school about financial literacy. And we took it to our women's group first because we thought this is such a great way to get in front of high school students and to show them that financial services is a great profession, especially for women, since we seem to have a hard time getting women to join this profession. So we went had an awesome experience, the adrenaline for like doing it because the questions we got asked, the feedback, it was so awesome. And I feel like that ignited a spark in me that I was like, this is what I need to be doing. I need to be building out our financial literacy initiative, bringing more women into this industry. And so I think I just got more vocal, um, especially as I attended conferences or spoke at conferences. It was a, you know, a passion project and I'm fortunate enough that one of my colleagues, Lynn, who started technically the day before I did, she was a CFP ambassador as well. And so she nominated me to join. And then because of people I had met, it got me to be on the WIN Council. So it's been a really cool experience, but all really driven from wanting to just, one, bring financial literacy to everyone, and then specifically to help bring more women in this industry. I want to talk on both of those because those are two initiatives that I, I think so highly of, of people that are involved with it because it's such a, it is a passion of mine as well. And, you know, I want to, on the women in the industry, you know, from your perspective, right, your, your seat, how do we go about as an industry getting more women in this industry, right? I know it's dominated by men and that's what it kind of grew up to be, but gosh, we need to change that. And so how, how do we, how do we start doing that even more collaboratively as a whole as a whole industry? From my perspective, a lot of it comes down to compensation models and just the way that we structure this as a sales business. I think women are not natural, you know, I'm going to go hunt and eat what I kill. I think, you know, they want to feel like they have a little more stability and security. And so I think when you look at firms that are successful in bringing in female advisors, if you look at their comp model, or the training or the team that they come into where you have more of an incentive or a way to grow your compensation. I think too many firms are just like, oh, you don't have a book, sorry, like you can't come in. And I think a lot of women, whether they're career changers, new to the industry, 
they don't have that. And so they're either starting on the insurance side, which maybe isn't the greatest, you know, here's your project 200, tell us everyone you know, go sell them a life insurance policy and that sales. So I think it's just restructuring how we approach relationships. And I think women are really good at relationship building. And I think if you can compensate them to do that, so like a big thing we have focused on is just trying to focus on teams, building out teams so that it's more of a group mentality versus like you have the one person who's just going to go grow and prospect and kill. And then that's the only way someone gets paid. On those teams, because that's an interesting idea. I mean, I actually never thought about it from like a, like a comp model problem, which I, but it makes complete sense, right? I, 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 you know, it's kind of like just natural, you know, I guess human, but I, I don't want to box it. It seems like it's unfair to box it and say like males like to go out and compete and females don't. But I guess that that's, I mean, that, cause that's not fair. I don't, I don't think, right. but I, but I think your point is valid in the sense of like on a, on a more holistic level, that may be more true. And if you group them that way, but like when you group them and you're all and how y'all are working through it, do you have one of those like hunter people that are going and bringing in the leads and they get compensated for that? Whereas then, you know, the other other members of that team, whether male or female, are just compensated based on maintaining and growing and building the relationship. Is that kind of the mentality? A little bit. So what we did, gosh, a little over a year ago. And I actually it's a cool story because it started actually with a female employee who within our women's initiative expressed that she would potentially like to be an advisor and she was on the client relationship side. And, you know, we all just kind of rallied around her and said, like, let's figure out how to make this happen. And so we structured a new role called the wealth advisor associate role, so sort of like an advisor in training where they're servicing smaller clients, helping with internet leads, things like that. So they're kind of getting a taste, but they're salaried. So it's like, they get a taste of it, but they're learning the business. And then from there, each region has a regional director, a senior vice president, and vice presidents, and wealth advisors. And wealth advisors are basically junior advisors to that, like, rainmaker. So the regional director or senior vice president are the rainmakers. They are the ones that can go out and bring in the business and close it. And then they can either pass those clients on to their VPs or their wealth advisor to help service. And so the goal of the wealth advisor is that similarly, they're given a, a guarantee and then an upside on the book, like how much is it's growing. And they do that while simultaneously building their own book. So they kind of have a security blanket while they're learning to build their own. And then when they're finally like, hey, I'm good, I can be on my own, they sort of elevate to that next level. And then the wealth advisor associate has now been trained and can come into that wealth advisor spot. So we've wow. actually built out a training plan four advisors. That's such a cool story just to take someone's desire and, and, and as opposed to being like, well, we don't have that track for you. You know, I'm sorry. It's like, we're going to try to create that track for you. I mean, that's natural innovation that is needed in more advisory firms, because I think that so many firms are like, this is the way that it's been. It's worked. It's yep. not broken. We're not going to fix it. And if you want to go in the track, you got to be a, a hunter and a gather, right? You got to be a hunter and you eat what you kill. And y'all took it the other way. Out of curiosity, I mean, y'all's firm, how, how many at EP, how many female advisors or, or wealth advisors roughly, I mean, do y'all have, or, or you can do it on a rough estimate out of a ratio, right? Of all of them, is it 10% of your of them or is it, you know, closer to 50%? It's probably like between 15 to 20%. We've definitely grown a lot the last couple of years. And 
you know, we have an inorganic and organic strategy. So we are acquiring firms, and we've been fortunate to acquire some great female advisors. But we've brought a couple on in the last couple of years as sort of solo um, one-off people, and they've been fantastic. So I think that's also helping. You know, they've actually set up their own sort of advisor group as well to kind of help support each other from their end. So I think we'll we'll continue to see more. I love that. I think that that's so incredible and something that, I mean, shoot, any advisory firm can learn from. I mean, are y'all helping other firms think through this that that are interested in growing out their, their female advisor base? I mean, I think it's such an awesome uh, opportunity. So I would say yes. I mean, part of my role within the Women's Council for the CFP board, the working group that I was assigned to was actually how to build out uh, women's initiatives at different firms. But then I was you know, interviewed for another working group that's similar, like how do you and just attract more females here? And so one of the things we do want to do is sort of have this women's summit where we invite all these people that have figured it out to kind of come share best practices and talk through to really help put together what we view as like a playbook. Like here's how you could do it. Here are ideas and thoughts just to help, you know, management. Because I get it, it, to your point, if they've done it for a while and it's working, you know, the whole if it's not broke, don't fix it. And I think last year just kind of threw our industry for a loop and whether it was people moving, wanting to work remote, I think there's a lot of adaptation that firms are having to do. And I think comp is a big driver of that. And I think that people are now more open to innovation. We are forced to change, right? And I think that we yeah. saw that we were able to do it and sometimes for the better and some for, for the worse, but we, we learned a lot. You know, I want to go down the other path real quick. I mean, we, we still haven't gotten into your background, which I, I want to get into, because, but this has been, I, I, I love these two topics that were brought up. Financial literacy. It's such a, I think it's, um, I mean, it's a topic we all know in this space. And I think we're all, I think we're all inherently passionate about it because we see the challenges that many people are facing. And I'm curious in your perspective, right? In, in two ways. And I know this is kind of like a loaded question, so I get that. But, you know, what is success? What are we trying to get to on financial literacy? How do we judge success that we're making progress? Is it more money in retirement accounts? Is it more people saving what is success? And then the second question really goes to, given your position with the CFP board and, and how you're, you're helping out in these ways and what y'all's firm, what EP's doing and everything of that nature, what works, right? What, what sticks on that side of it? I think, I mean, to answer the first question, I mean, I think to your point, it's going to be, you know, is credit card debt down? Are we seeing more in savings? I mean, I think last year, if you look back and it goes in April, I mean, the, the savings rate was the highest it's ever been, which was a great statistic, but, you know, I think it was a little jaded. I think it was because people actually couldn't go spend money on things that they normally do because everything was shut down. So, but what I do think it did was kind of have people refocus priorities and figure out what they can live with and without. And I think what you're going to see going forward is, does that stick? Do we see the savings rate continue? Do we see people, you know, across the country, we're seeing the housing boom right now with people going out and buying real estate. So hoping that we don't see, you know, defaulting mortgages, people can maintain those. Um, I think time will tell, but I think it's just honestly statistics that are going to tell us if it's working or not. Mm-hmm. And with like what's working on the financial literacy, I mean, for us, it's getting out there, getting into the community, getting into, you know, communities where they are lower income, maybe not getting access to the same type of resources that other people may be where they don't have parents 
who are the shining examples of financial literacy. A story I always share is we did a program for a career day, and it came time to ask questions. And none of the students were asking questions, and so the teacher started raising her hand. And I was like, oh, that's nice. Like, she's trying to get people, you know, motivated. And I, she asked a question, got a couple others from the students, asked a few more. And they were getting a little more particular. And I was like, hmm, okay, these are a little maybe above this age group, but I'll answer them. And so afterwards, she said, I want to be honest with you. She said, we as teachers acknowledge that this needs to be taught in school, but like most of us don't feel equipped to teach it ourselves. Hmm. And she said, when people found out that you were coming here, I started getting emailed questions. She's like, so everything I was asking you was actually coming from other teachers. And so that's what really got me because I said, like, this is, again, we know this industry. We know what we're doing and where we can actually help. To think that a teacher who maybe doesn't know their own finances is going to go tell their students how to budget, not use a credit card, et cetera, maybe isn't fair. So I really think it's a duty of our industry to step up and actually help more about this. And I think that that's such an interesting, I mean, that's an amazing story. And it's such a needed realization that I think we're blind to in the industry because we're like, yeah, everybody should have it just because we're in it all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you think about some of the psychological behaviors and, you know, decisions that make people people irrational about their money is that it's mainly how they were brought up. And so each teacher is brought up differently, which make and that gives them their perception of what savings and investing means and, and what it should do. And it's hard to be unbiased to that because yeah. you only know your past. Whereas us in the industry, we're fortunate to have seen hundreds, maybe thousands of different experiences by living through others vicariously and being on the other, on the, you know, on this other side of the table, so and so, to, or so to say, and we get a different perspective of it, right? We see people that do it well. We see people that don't. We have our own background, but we were able to have another perspective, and we need to share that. I think, and like, and, yeah. and as you were talking, one of the things that came to my mind was, you know, it 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 seems like we need to kind of do because if you don't have you know, if you don't have the home life necessarily to, to help instill it or to kind of drive it home and you hear it once and it sounds great, you still need to hear it a lot more times. And how do you right. do that with, you know, if teachers are struggling with it and you don't have a home life, it's kind of like we need to bring back like the pen pal system, right? It's a, it's a financial pen pals where, where you just have, you know, check-ins and there's so many technology and tools now, whether it's WhatsApp, Facebook, Snapchat, TikTok. I don't know. I don't use TikTok. I don't know how it works. Uh, but a lot of finance. Now, there is, there is, but there's some way that we can cool. We can really like the students that you talk to, how can you engage with them at scale? Right. I think that that's a, such an interesting way because you're right. We bring a different perspective and we just need to help drive it home beyond just like one or two times in the, in the classroom. And we got to think about that as industry. We got to take that on as a, as a responsibility of ourselves, I think. Well, and one thing that we did, because we saw that, you know, we were going out and doing these presentations and we would leave kind of like, did that stick? What's the next step? So one thing that we created, and unfortunately we couldn't do it last summer, but we're bringing it back, is we created an externship where we actually invite the high school students to come into the office for two days. The externship, it's unpaid, but we call it sort of like a corporate boot camp a little bit, where they meet with all the directors of the, you know, the, all the departments, kind of learn about the different industries. They prepare, they learn how to prepare a resume, what to put on it. Then they do a mock interview with different directors. We go over like corporate etiquette, business communication. We put on like a networking event where I basically like buy ice cream and throw everyone in the kitchen. And then they have to go network with people at the office. 
they do a stock market game. But what has come out of it, to your point, is a lot of them then create their own little networking group. So we've seen them all at each other on LinkedIn, add us, follow up with us, and then we offer them the ability to come back and intern if this is something they're interested in. So trying to really keep them, you know, going. It's like, hey, if this resonated with you, come to our externship, join our internship, and maybe you'll land, you know, whether it's here or somewhere else. I love that. And that's something that I, I want every, I want to share. And we're going to share on this podcast. I mean, that's such an, a needed and option, you know, great opportunity for firms to really get involved in their community because it starts with us, right? We want to get more diversity in this industry. It, it starts by training the younger generations and, and helping those that may not have the opportunity to learn, get them trained up so that then the pool of diverse candidates continues to grow. And I want to put your contact information to have firms really reach out to you because I think that there's such an opportunity for us all to grow in that way to continue to, to help with financial literacy and help with the diversity opportunity. I think that it helps on both sides of it. And, you know, it reminds me of something that, that's done here in Atlanta um, called Junior Achievement. I think it's all across the country, mm-hmm. I, I believe. And, yeah. you know, when you're talking about the externship, you know, that's like the Junior Achievement, you know, experience that schools go to where they, they learn about spending and saving and they go and get a mortgage. And I think that that is, we went through that once just as like a, to see what it was like. And it was such an immersive experience that I, mm-hmm. um, I, I think it's such like a, a powerful moment for people to live in real life and see how their decisions are. And, and I've always said, I think that the beauty with technology innovation is like virtual reality can maybe help that be cool, right? Where kids want to yeah. go through that. And, and so firms like what you're doing and, 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 and minds and innovative minds like what you, you, you have and your firm has is, is what we need more in this industry. And you know, how did you, and I'm doing this interview backwards and I get that. And that's the fun of these conversations. Um, <laughs> how did you get into this industry? Is this what you grew up wanting to be was uh, in financial planning? No. So it's kind of a weird story because I came from the Midwest. I'm from Chicago originally, always wanted to come out to California for college since I was in the fourth grade. And this is a, this is a true story. And I always share it because people just can't believe it. But I was homesick in fourth grade, you know, watching what else at that point, the price is right. And there was a girl on the show from San Diego state. And I just remember her being like, super excited and really just, I don't know, positive. And my mom came home with like my meds and she was like, Oh, like, what are you watching? And I was like, I'm going to go to San Diego state when I'm older. And she kind of like brushed it off. Like, Oh, okay. I graduated high school and I stuck with that. I wanted to go to San Diego. I actually got a letter mailed to me from my fifth grade teacher that apparently we wrote ourselves saying, where do you see yourself in 10 years or wherever? And I was like, I'll be playing volleyball at San Diego state. I wound up at the University of San Diego because I came from a small town and big schools kind of freaked me out. But I fell in love with California, as you can imagine. And it was going to be my junior year. And my dad basically gave me an ultimatum and said, if you want to stay in California when you graduate, you better graduate with a full-time job. And at that point, the only thing I knew to do was go intern. And I went and applied on our college website to every single internship I could find landed at MetLife. It was their case design unit. I went and interviewed. I was like, sure, sounds great. The two women that I interviewed with were probably like two or three years older. They were college students or just graduated themselves, really just enjoyed the experience. They offered me the role and I took it and I fell in love with it. I actually went into college thinking I would be a psychology major and my dad was like, 
I'm paying private school tuition, and if you're going to have to go get your PhD and everything, like psychology is not what you're going to major in. So I did business and psychology, and I found when I got into planning that it was like the perfect mixture of both of those things. And I just remember throwing myself into it. Like I started working crazy hours. Like I just started not really caring about school because I just wanted to go work because I loved what I was doing. And they were able to offer me a full-time job when I graduated, and the rest is history. And now I'm here 15 years later. That is incredible. When I was doing some background research for this pot for this interview you know i saw that you were a business and psychology major and i was like gosh that's what every financial financial planner financial advisor <laughs> should go through because i always tell clients 90 percent, they're like well you know i was like 90 percent of my job is being a psychologist just keeping you from doing something silly the investing side not to like downplay it but that's the easier side in my opinion yeah. uh, the harder side is making sure to, to keep you from doing something you know silly with your money and I mean, I guess you still see that, right? I mean, how, how are you using the lessons you learned from psychology in your day-to-day -day now? I mean, I'm sure you're using it more than you probably would even if you're a psychologist. For sure. I mean, I think it was, you know, we had a course called business psychology, another one called social psychology. And I just remember it really applied, you know, workplace environment protocol and how to interact with coworkers and how to, you know, as I got into even with clients. I just saw like so much of what I was learning resonate. And I laugh all the time. I'm like, I feel like in some way that led me to where that internship was and, you know, where I am today. But I've said the same thing, you know, now that they're coming out, I think with that like financial therapist certification, I get it. I'm like, it is so much of just being able to temper, you know, personalities and moods and feelings and emotions that is, is a lot more psychological based than maybe numbers based sometimes. In one of my upcoming books that I have, Dr. Cash will see you now. It's actually a fable with him being a psychologist for financial advisors, helping financial advisors walk <laughs> through some of their fears that they have about the future of the industry. And it's a four part volume, but the first volume is all about why you are valued. And it's, it's always talking about why advisors are valuable. And why it goes beyond just what you do from the investing standpoint, which can, some can argue is becoming commoditized now. And uh, it's all a matter of you've got to negotiate with people's emotions, right? You understand where they yeah. need to get to. And if you're, if you're doing the right things, you know, how, you know where they need to go. And you just got to help negotiate on some things to help them see that and get there. I mean, that's psychology in my mind. And I think that that's where our value is as an advisor. No, I agree. I mean, we, we're all playing with the same set of tools. Our toolbox across this industry is the exact same. The strategies we're going to deploy across a client will all look somewhat similar, but it always comes back in my mind to the relationship you've built with that person and the way you can convey those strategies and the follow-up you have with them and just the relationship you've built is really what dictates, I think, success in an advisor. And so, you know, are you the person that's going to go in there and talk nuts and bolts of estate planning or advanced estate planning? Sure, but so is the next advisor. You know, yeah. a keeper is going to be the same no matter who you talk to. It's how they tie it into your goals, your plan, and present it to you and follow through on that, I think is what speaks volumes about a good advisor. Yeah, I'm in a complete agreement. Um, and so I want to be respectful of your time. I have a few last topics I just want to touch on that, that, that may be shorter and then we can wrap up. But I mean, I could talk with you for, for hours because this has been really engaging and your stories are, are amazing. The investment news 40 under 40 is, is, a, is a really big accomplishment. It's, uh, it's a bigger accomplishment, to be honest, than I had imagined it was. I didn't really understand it 
uh, until until the the list came out, and I was honored, just like you, on it. In your mind, I mean, that's a that's a level of success, right? But I'm sure that that's not the full success that you have you dream of or that you desire. What does success look like to you? Yeah, I mean, I think if anything, this probably set the bar higher for me because to your point, like this isn't the be all end all like I've made it feeling. If anything, I feel like now it has set sort of a precedent, not only for myself, but my team, you know, fellow people I've worked with. So I think success for me is just continuing to set a bar higher and higher for the people that are behind me to say like, to show that I'm a good example of a financial planner, an advisor, a leader, a female in this industry. So I think until, I don't really view like I'll ever, you know, it's probably what everyone says, it'll never really be successful, but I feel like I keep finding new metrics of success for myself. So this was just like a stepping stone to the next thing. And we'll see what that next thing is. The challenge of, of any person that's driven to succeed is that the, the, in my mind at least, is that the finish line is always moving. There is no finish line. Yeah. There is no there is no mountaintop because the the, peak, the the top of the mountain continues to get higher, and I'm right there with you, right? Like now now the the work is just starting with a, at a different level, and uh, the top has gone a little bit higher to where I need to go. Because not only do you do in my my mind, do we have to sh- do I have to show my worth of this honor continuously, mm-hmm. but I need to continuously show that I can go and get you know, future ones as well. And not necessarily honors, but have future impact uh, on the industry beyond what it would have done in my period of time. And it so far, and, and being that we're in the wealth space, I always like to ask this question to other industry folks, because I think that too often individual clients come to us and they think of wealth just purely in monetary wealth. And uh, it's always interesting in, in, in how they level themselves as saying whether they're wealthy or not, that's a whole different story. But it's always interesting right. to ask people inside the profession, what is in your mind, you know, the definition of wealth? I mean, I would say it's being able to live the life that you want comfortably for as long as you live. So it, I don't think it is a dollar amount. I mean, we, it's the running thing. Like, you know, could you retire tomorrow if you spent a certain dollar amount? I mean, wealth is just really fulfilling your financial goals. I think that is what makes someone wealthy is sending their kids to college, retiring in their dream location, paying off their mortgage. It's whatever makes them happy and can sustain their lifestyle that they want to live for as long as they get to grace this planet. I, I mean, I think that that's something that, that needs to continuously be said in the industry because I'm in complete agreement with that, right? Is, you know, the, the person that has $250,000, they should have an option to go get financial advice somewhere, human mm-hmm. financial advice, because they, their wealth, you know, if they can, if that can help them live the life that they want, they're wealthy and they're just as wealthy right. as the person that has $10 million. And I think that as, you know, kind of wrapping everything around into financial literacy, again, like that's also the point of financial literacy, right? You don't, some people may need a million dollars if that's the life, if you need that to live the life you want, but not necessarily. Right. right? And, um, and I think that that's such a great definition of it, of what wealth is. And the, the last question that I ask, and I always like it because I'm a huge Simon Sinek fan. I don't know if you're, you know, Simon Sinek, but I, I love Simon Sinek, you know, the infinite game and start with why. But, you know, I'm very passionate about the idea of, of, of understanding your why. I think it's such a, a necessary thing for firms to be successful. I love his example of Apple versus Dell and how they, how they pitch their company. And it's something that within one of our RIAs that I've always preached, and I think that, that we've done really, really well, not because of me, but because the people inside the firm believe in it. 
So I always ask guests that come on Bridging the Gap, what is your why? So I think my why starts with, gosh, it'll almost be, it'll be almost 11 years where my mom passed. And, you know, again, I was in California. She was back in the Midwest. And it got to a point where we knew that she was, you know, terminal. And I was like, I've got to move home. You know, I had just gotten my promotion to come up to L.A. and build out a planning department up in the five regions up here. And she, you know, we were, I was at home with her and she's like, you're absolutely not moving home. And I was like, I have to, I want to be here. I want to take care of you. And she was like, you have a career. Like, you don't just have a job now. You have a career. I see how much you love it. And she goes, and I want you to keep doing it. And we struggled, we argued, my dad, it was a big deal, and I wound up not moving home. And I was fortunate that my company kind of let me just do whatever I needed to do to be there with her. But ever since then, I've always vowed that I will have the career that she wanted me to have. So with every designation, award, you name it, it's for her. It's the decision she made to allow me to stay here and build my career um, and not move home and possibly give that all up. So she is my why. These are the reasons why I do this is to have conversations like this that I never would be able to have. And, you know, I think it shines a light on some of the the amazing people that we have in our in our industry. And the 40 under 40 recognition that you received is extremely, you know, you earned it. No, no question. And you're I'm just honored to be a part of that group with you because this conversation was really uh, inspiring to me. And I think that the change that you're doing, it's got me like, I want to hitch, hitch my you know, wagon and, and let's go because you're, you're enthusiastic about it. And I, I believe in what your mission is and your why is, is so awesome. And, and I think as an industry, we need to share that more and more to everybody. And mm-hmm. hopefully this gets out to everybody because they need to follow follow you and, and and get behind your movement because it's amazing so i i just thank you for giving me you know 30 45 minutes of your time and, and sharing and being open and that's what this conversation is all meant to be so thank you and, and well deserved thank 40 you. under 40 congratulations to you you as well thank you for letting me be a part of this thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of bridging the gap don't forget to give us a rating and let us know what you think 